Dear fellow redeemed, we consider briefly um, Paul's words, especially from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And as we begin today, um, thinking in a little bit from a different perspective of the same event that we discussed last week, the event of the last day, what some of the old German theologians would call the youngest day, because it would be a brand new day, a day with no more sin or death or pain. That last day being the last day of life in this sinful world, of life having to deal with the temptation of our old sinful flesh, the last day when we would have to put up with the accusations of the devil himself, the last day when there would ever be any sort of worry, any sort of fear or uncertainty, the last day when, when finally that hated part of ourselves would be put to death. What a joyful day. When that sinful flesh would have all of its temptations and accusations finally silenced in the Christian heart in you that wants to and does serve God completely and fully with no reservation whatsoever, that Christian heart will be able to spring forth in unbridled joy. On that last day, your body will be completely restored. So there would be no more sin, you know. Um, if you get your, your appendix out, it's called an appendectomy. The last day is like God's synectomy. He's going to take it out of you completely and glorify you to prepare you for heaven itself. That's just part of it. On that last day, what I sometimes um, illustrate for the children or talk with them about as the greatest fireworks display you will have ever seen, the, the graves will burst open and the dead in Christ will rise first. Every single person who has ever lived will stand before Jesus. Those that, that you and I know personally, perhaps some of the very people that you had been thinking about standing in that, that host arrayed in white, the ones who you know by name, at whose funerals you wept, that you'll see them there at that last day, that youngest day, as well as those who had been buried at sea, um, like during, during warfare or, or similar, as well as all the innumerable, innumerable people that you or I would never know, that to us they remain forever nameless. But they'll stand before Jesus also. And the Christians among them, the fellow Christians, completely united in faith with you and with me, no divisions whatsoever, no worry, no want, no pain. That last day is a, a beautiful day that we really ought to celebrate and look forward to, not just on you know, the last three or four days of the Christian church year, but each day of our lives. Maybe today is the day. What a day to look forward to. But we also recognize that it's not here yet. I mean, it's only 9.27, and... Um, Maybe it'll happen sometime before 10 o'clock. That'll be fine with me. 
But we also recognize it's not here yet. And as much as you and I look ahead and look forward to that day, that day when, um, when Jesus will return on the clouds of heaven, that day when we will be reunited with the whole Christian church, that day when Jesus himself will gather the elect from the four corners of the earth, even as we look forward to that day and all the gospel joy that it brings, we also recognize there's another aspect to this day that those who do not know Christ, those who are without faith in him, are dreading that day, whether they know it or not. They are dreading that day because that day and any talk of that day is simply an announcement, a proclamation of judgment. Because, yes, there's sinful flesh and, and everything about them hates the idea of, of Christ. And so, no matter the conversations that you might have or the thoughts that come to mind, no matter how nicely they talk about it, well, okay, that's what you Christians believe, but I don't believe that. At the same time, you know, deep down, that you've got an ally in that conscience. That when you want to talk to somebody about the return of Jesus, when you want to talk to somebody about their final day here on earth, that conscience is verifying and repeating exactly what you or I would say. That conscience, the voice of God's law in their heart, repeating internally what they hear externally, that Jesus is coming, that he's coming in judgment, and he's coming in judgment on me. That as much as they might say, dear Christian, don't talk about that, or Christian, that sounds ridiculous. It's been 2,000 years. Deep down, they're trying to cover up that voice of the law, that voice of the law that says, when Jesus comes, I'm going to be on the wrong side, because that's the bottom line now, isn't it? The bottom line is that the day is coming, whether you believe it or not, whether you know it or not, and for us, who have been brought into this relationship of faith with our Lord, it's a day of joy and celebration, a day of, of gospel hope and looking forward to it. But for those who are outside of Christ's church, and even for that sinful flesh within us, that day is going to be the judge's gavel. It's a day of terror, crying to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, hide us. But we rejoice. We rejoice because that day will be the visible acquittal of you and me. That day will be the final silencing of any, any sense of guilt or shame, any sort of conscience that would accuse, that day will bring about the full freedom, the deliverance, salvation, fully justified and redeemed, rescued, pardoned, comfort, comforted, and forgiven. That day is the day that we rejoice in above nearly every other day because every other point and event of God's plan of salvation has been completed except for that day. 
except for that day that he is holding off until the full number of his elect have been gathered into his church. And that really sets our purpose, that you and I can hasten the day of judgment. You, can, you and I can hasten the last day coming through our prayers and through our work together, that in God's mind, yes, that day is firm and certain and unchanging and, and sure on a particular time. At the same time, you and I can, in a sense, make it come sooner. And that's why we're here, that we look forward to that day when this sinful flesh will finally be put to death. He won't be burdened by that anymore. Your body will be restored to a new and glorious way with, with nothing to be ashamed of and no more guilt, no more pain. You and I will look ahead to that day and we will see every, every sad event that has ever happened in your life. You'll see it either from the perspective of God's perspective, that that was something that he worked into a blessing for you, or you will see it totally undone as what may have been the, the saddest day of your life in losing a loved one is unraveled as that loved one is raised from death and you can walk the streets of gold hand in hand. That's why we're here. And that's why, that's why Paul writes what he does here to the, the Thessalonians in the first letter, chapter 4. He writes to these people because he says, you know what, dear Christian, you're different. You're different. Yes, Christians cry at funerals, and, and usually, <laughs> as far as I know, pastors and funeral, funeral directors, and the, the one that I've talked to most recently, they, they do their crying somewhere else, usually, you know, um, getting ready for the day. So that when I'm here, or when, you know, Don Blaze is, is serving as a funeral director, that there's nothing to distract from the proclamation of what happened and what happens. There's nothing to distract from reading these words. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have fallen asleep because we do not grieve like the rest of people, the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe Jesus will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. And I know you've heard that phrase before because I think I've used this text, this reading, in all but two of the funerals that I've presided at over the last ten years. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe Jesus will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. Did you notice the difference? that Jesus actually suffered separation from his heavenly Father. There at the cross, when he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was experiencing the pain of hell. He was experiencing complete separation from all of God's loving presence. And all he was experiencing was that cup of God's wrath filled to the brim. We believe that Jesus died that he experienced that, that spiritual death of separation, that spiritual reality of hell, and that when he was placed in the tomb, yes, 
His, his body and soul had separated when he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And his soul went to be in heaven until the day when he would be resurrected. And his body was placed in the tomb. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. That he was placed in the tomb before sundown on, on, um, on Friday. And he rose from the dead shortly after, you know, sometime early Sunday morning, where his soul came back from heaven and was reunited with his body. And the blood started pumping again. And he sat up, and <laughs> in my mind's eye, I just kind of picture him pumping his fist like, of course he won. But then the very first thing that he does is he descended into hell. That's what we talked about in the uh, Nicene Creed. Actually, we didn't talk about it in the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed skips it, but the Apostles' Creed does talk about it. We believe that he, Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, period. He descended into hell, should be a comma, then he rose again from the dead, and so on. Because the very first thing that he does after he comes alive again, as pictured so beautifully behind me, the very first thing that Jesus does is he goes and makes a proclamation to all of the inmates in the eternal prison of hell. He proclaims to them the exact same content that we celebrate here every Sunday. The exact same content that Jesus lives, the victory is won that those who trust in him will not be put to shame, that because Jesus rose from the dead, the devil's accusations don't stick and his temptations don't work, that because Jesus rose from the dead, you and I, and yes, all people will be raised from the dead, but you and I will be raised to a glorious life. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. You notice the difference. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose. And because of that, whenever a Christian dies, the New Testament refers to it as falling asleep. Falling asleep. That, that the casket or the vault or the mausoleum or the urn is as temporary as the bed you woke up from this morning. That your time in the tomb will seem as temporary as the nap that you took during the uh, most recent Lions game. My apologies to any Lions fans, <laughs> but I guess that goes unstated. That your time in the tomb will be as, as temporary as a nap on the couch because Jesus died and rose again. And it's not just that you will be wake, wakened from the dead on that day by the voice of your Lord, but you will see him face to face. You will see him face to face because there's no more sin when you are raised from the dead. And not only him, but the entire crowd of believers who, whom he brought with him on that day. It's pictured vividly for us in um, Revelation chapter 7, where our theme verse is from, and Revelation chapter 7, which pictures the, um, the, this choir of all the believers, that is, the saints, those who are holy in Christ, who have passed away, who have fallen asleep in Christ. In Revelation chapter 7 pictures all of those believers 
as clothed in white robes with palm branches of victory in their hands and singing praises to their Lord, exactly as we do here, just better. And you could picture even your loved one's face in that choir, that we believe Jesus died and rose again, and so he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. Among all the blessings that we see at the last day, it's not just the gathering of God's church from around the world, but also the gathering of God's church from across time and space. The gathering of of your loved ones, united in faith with you, to look ahead and say, this is the day, the youngest day, the newest day, the day that my Jesus has made everything new. That's why we're here. Because that message alone, that gospel truth, is the only thing that will change a person from being and dreading the last day and being on the wrong side to looking ahead to that last day. That gospel message that, yes, your sin is forgiven, that you have nothing to fear on that day, and yes, the the taste on the tongue or the water on the head or the word on the ear is certain. It is certain comfort that your Jesus has made you clean, has washed you, redeemed you, forgiven you, comforted you, and acquitted you so that you can look forward to that day and you're not going to miss it. So that you can look forward to that day with joy. And if it happens that you or I fall asleep in Christ, well, It's not a pleasant thing to have body and soul separate because the sinful flesh knows that's its last day of life. But the Christian doesn't have to dread that day. The Christian can say, my Lord turns this day into a blessing for me. And so much of that spiritual reality is something that that is ours now. We just can't see it. You can think of it this way, that when we are gathered here at the Lord's table, you and I and everybody around that table um, wouldn't know each other or wouldn't have any real connection to each other, maybe, um, aside from the one at the center of the table, that we are united by faith in this Jesus. And the people in heaven are united in that same faith, by that same Jesus. And in a sense, exactly what's going on here is what Jesus is doing there. He is serving as as the host and the honored guest at the wedding feast of the Lamb for people who are united in faith with him. And in that sense, you could say, yes, when we are gathering here at the Lord's table, united by the same Jesus, we're not just united to the people we see here or to the believers that we see that we don't see on the other side of the world. We're also united in faith in this one church, the church of, of God's elect, the church of the believers, that those who passed away ahead of us are united with us in that same faith. This last year, we've only had, um, we've had two funerals since last Saints Triumphant Sunday. Um, Carl Van Wert passed away, and then Brandon Kukla passed away. 
they fell asleep in Christ. And we rejoice that even though we miss them, and even though the, the sting of death is still painful, we look forward to that last day, that youngest day, when we'll see them again in glory. And even before then, you recognize that this Jesus who bought us and brought us here together is a Jesus who keeps us united in faith with them even now. And so when we talk about um, the work that our church does together during these last days, we also recognize, well, that's why we do this thing that, that I call in-reach. <laughs> it's just the, the flip of outreach. Outreach is like reaching out to people who don't know Jesus. In-reach is reaching into our own members and those who do know Jesus. That, uh, that every Sunday, um, usually you know, Mr. Skreptak or one of our elders or sometimes I um, enter attendance into our, into our attendance program so that we can see who, not who is here, but who isn't. Who is it that we need to reach out to and encourage, to remind of, of the truth of the last day, that it is coming, to encourage them and say, Dear friend, I want to see you on, on the side of God's elect, the side of God's people on that youngest day. I don't want you to be distracted by, by all that this world has to offer because it's passing away. And I don't want you to lose hope and become dejected that, that Jesus has been 2,000 years plus in coming. Dear friend, can I see you at church in the next couple of weeks? And then we've got, kind of got it broken out based on how long somebody hasn't been in church. We've got a group of about five or six people who, who make calls every week to, to those who are, haven't been in church for about a month I suppose. And just to say, dear friend, here's when our church services are offered. I'd love to see you there. And then when it's been about two months, then, then our elders reach out to them and encourage them with that, that, that same truth, that Jesus died and rose. And we believe that Jesus will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. Because the proclamation that Jesus made when he descended into hell is the same proclamation that we proclaim here, is the same truth that we celebrate here at the Lord's table, is the same reality that is the spiritual reality of fellowship together. <laughs> even, in, uh, even in some old Norwegian churches, it would be a, a half-circle communion table here. And then on this side of the church would be the, uh, the church's cemetery kind of a visual reminder that we're united in faith here, that we're here for a purpose that extends beyond life in this world, that we're here for, for Jesus to keep, him close, keep us close to himself for all eternity, and that the fellowship we share here is a fellowship that goes on forever. So I guess it's good that we talk about the last day, the youngest day, judgment day, kind of refocuses our eyes and our hearts to say, what more can we do to encourage each other with this truth? In a world that grieves without knowing why and without knowing how, in a world that doesn't want anything else than to shut out the proclamation of the Christian church, 
we have the truth. Jesus died and rose again. And so he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. And hopefully soon. What a day to look forward to. Amen.